Hi, and welcome to another episode of Great Stories with Charles Morris. That's my name. And today, I want to broach a difficult topic, divorce and remarriage in the church. The Bible offers guidance on a whole slew of issues, including divorce and remarriage. But there are still many questions that don't have quick and easy answers. So what does the Bible say about it? Is remarriage considered adultery? What should you do if your spouse walks away from the marriage? Well, I believe there's no better person to talk about this than Dr. David Instone Brewer. After three years of dedicated research on these issues, he delicately explains that the Bible isn't as unclear about divorce as many think. And there are many misconceptions in the church today. I did this interview with him in Cambridge several years ago in an English garden at Tyndale House. And I know it's just as timely for us to consider today. And so without further ado, let's get started. Welcome to Haven Today, and we're meeting today with uh, Dr. David Instone Brewer. We're meeting with him at Cambridge in the United Kingdom, England, and he is a research fellow at Tyndale House, and I'll describe that as a uh, kind of a think tank, and we'll get more into that maybe a little bit later. But uh, David, welcome for the very first time to Haven Today. Well, welcome to the old country, as I sometimes <laughs> call it. Yes, and I say very old. It's so good to be with you because, as I have told you before, I've been searching for a book on divorce for years, trying to find something that was faithful to Scripture, that actually looked at what Scripture teaches. You've gone a step beyond that. Your book is Divorce and Remarriage in the Church. This is a critical issue, and yet it's not talked about. What drew you to actually, as a scholar, looking at the issue? And you've also been a Baptist pastor in your life, too. Well, it's a Baptist pastorate that's made me have to look at this, because when I went there for the first time, I suddenly found half of my board, the deacons, were divorced and remarried. And I saw that God had blessed those new marriages, and mm -hmm. that made me sit up. And then uh, also we had a rather pretty church. Lots of people came to the church to get married who were nothing to do with the church, but uh, half of them were divorced. Mm -hmm. So I had to go back to the books to find out what's, what I should do. And as, if you look across the Christian faith, there would be some Christian traditions that would just say flat out, you could never remarry. Roman Catholicism would traditionally teach you'd have to have your first marriage annulled before you could remarry. Yeah, I remember one Catholic couple, the man said to me, if I'd murdered my first wife, I could have got forgiveness and got married in my own church. Mm. Mm. You knew there had to be a different way. So you started having to open the scripture and study and then also look at the history. And, and maybe that's what we should do on the first few minutes we have together on this program today. Your area of scholarship is rabbinic Yeah, writings. just before going into the church, I'd spent three years working on a PhD on the rabbis in the New Testament. And they became my friends. You know, mm -hmm. I, I, mm -hmm. I love what they wrote, and I'd read pretty well everything they wrote during those years. And when I read the New Testament again on divorce, I found that I was reading it completely differently because I saw the language that they were using being quoted in the New Testament, which I'd never seen before. Okay, so for anyone listening, and I know a lot of people listening have gone through divorce or are considering divorce and hopefully are thinking as a believer, 
what does the Bible teach? Let's turn the clock back. Let's go to what Jewish scholars actually taught. And we could go to Exodus, too, in the, in the scripture itself, Exodus 21, where it would come up. So just tell me, what did the Jews teach relating to divorce, even before Jesus? And then we'll get to at the time of Jesus. Well, the Jews had four grounds for divorce, or five, depends how you count them. The, the one we all know about is in Deuteronomy 24, where it says about the divorce certificate. You mind right. sharing that with us? Sure. Here it is from 24, verse 1. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her certificate of divorce, he gives it to her and sends her from his house. Mm-hmm. And that's how a divorce happened. Uh, you wrote out a divorce certificate, you gave it to your wife, and then she was no longer your wife. Always a man. Always a man writing a divorce certificate. Uh, a wife could not divorce her husband. Not by this one. Okay. okay. But there's another verse which is quoted in the early marriage certificates we find in the Judean deserts, along with the Dead Sea Scrolls. Okay. We find this verse being quoted, and these are the grounds by which people got divorced mostly okay. in, the day, in the decades before Jesus. Okay. All right in Exodus 21. Now this is a strange, sounds strange to us at first because it's a law about a slave wife. Hmm. That is, you're married to a slave wife and you bring in another wife into your house, you're going to marry someone else, and then this is about the rights that that slave wife still has. And it is talking about divorce though, we just may not have thought about it as being well divorced. yeah we might think about our wives as slaves sometimes or they might but uh, this is i better different. not yeah 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 <laughs> this is when there were real slaves that you could marry and in the days when you could marry more than one wife okay but of course when the new wife comes in you might just throw your old wife into the corner and not bother with her at all but mm. this says you must take care of her and if you don't then she can divorce you mm. let, let me read it to you all right exodus 21 verse 10 following so if he marries another woman, he must not deprive the first one of her food, clothing, or marital rights. And if he does not provide her with these three things, she can go free without any payment of money. So she's a slave. She would normally buy her freedom. But it says here that if he deprives her of her food, clothing, and marital rights, then she can go free without paying anything. Mm-hmm. And okay. the Jews said to themselves, well, if a slave wife has these rights, then surely a free wife also has these rights. Mm-hmm. And Jews being Jews, they said, um, if a woman has these rights, then surely a man, being better than a woman, also okay. has these rights. Mm-hmm. So this applied to both husbands and wives. If they were deprived by their spouses, they could demand a divorce. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, a woman would do the cooking and look after the clothing. But if she didn't do those things, a husband could demand a divorce. Mm-hmm. And the man provided clothing, provided food. And if he didn't, she could demand a divorce. And they both made love. And if one refused for extended periods... That would be a ground for divorce as well. That would also well. be a ground for divorce. Okay. And this goes back to the time of Moses, the giving of the law, and then the interpretation of, of how the law was to be exercised. Yeah, the, the rabbis being lawyers, of course, they wanted to put exact limits on this. And they actually mm-hmm. defined how much food the husband had to give to the wife and how much clothing. How, in fact, how much he had to spend on clothing. <laughs> uh, I, I went through the calculations some time ago. And for a day laborer, which was most of the population, the husband was spending one-seventh of his income on his wife's clothing. 
Mm. So you see, some things don't change. <laughs> and food as well. Yep. So that's what the Jews thought. Let's take it up to the time of Christ. So we've got a lot of time passing after the law of Moses was given. And Jesus had some pretty hard things to say then to the Pharisees. They had reinterpreted, I think you're going to tell me, they had reinterpreted what Moses had actually taught. Yeah, up to a few decades before Jesus, the law stayed the same. They followed these three grounds in Exodus and the one ground in Deuteronomy. The ground in Deuteronomy, of course, is unfaithfulness, Mm -hmm. uh, a matter of indecency. But um, round about the time when Jesus was born, some Pharisees came up with a new ground for divorce. They, they looked in the Deuteronomy passage and it says there, it says, ervat devar, um, a, a cause of nakedness, literally, mm-hmm. a matter of indecency, shall we say, a cause of indecency. So they said, well, indecency, that's, um, ervar, that, that's, that's adultery. But hey, we've got a word left. What should we do with that word? We've got cause. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't say what sort of cause. So it's any cause. And they said they invented the any cause divorce. Mm. It's a wonderful bit of legal jiggery-pokery. It's a way to take the scripture and use it for your own means. Well, I would say that. I would say they're twisting scripture, and it looks like Jesus agrees with that, that they were twisting scripture. Not, not all Pharisees believed that. This was the Hillelite Pharisees, the, their rivals, the Shamites. They said, no, that phrase is just one phrase, and it means nothing but indecency. Mm-hmm. That's all it means, mm-hmm. nothing but indecency. And so by the time of Jesus, what were they teaching on divorce? Well, half of them were saying you can get divorced for any cause. Of course, Mm -hmm. it was only the man who could bring that divorce Mm -hmm. because it's in Deuteronomy only the man is mentioned. And any cause could be really anything. You know, some examples were if the lady burnt the soup. You're out. I'm divorcing you. Or if she has some wrinkles which she didn't have when they got married. That's a cause. So it really was any cause. You know, it's a no-fault divorce, basically. Okay, okay. And it was such a male-oriented culture at that time. The wife, the woman, didn't have that many rights, did she? Well, still she could get a divorce if she was being neglected, you know, if she wasn't getting her food. She could file for divorce at the time of Jesus if she had a valid, provable reason. Yep, they were still doing that up to the second century. We have a divorce certificate for that in the second century. Okay, okay. All right, let's move into what Jesus taught. Yeah, well, the big question was, can you get divorced for any cause or not? That Everyone mm-hmm. was talking about it. Because, well, mm-hmm. even Joseph, Joseph and Mary. Mm-hmm. Remember Joseph, it yes. says he wants to put his wife away, away privately. Yes. Quietly. Now, with an any cause divorce, you don't have to go to court. You don't have to say what the grounds are. Mm-hmm. So it's completely private. And a lot of people liked that. And by the time of Jesus, pretty well all divorces were any cause divorces. Mm -hmm. The the men liked it. They didn't have to prove anything. The women liked it because regardless of what has happened, they would get their ketuva, their dowry back. So they had some money to live on. And it wasn't embarrassing to them. No, no no dirty laundry in public. So everyone loved it and everyone was using it. But it was a no-fault divorce. They'd thrown away all the grounds for divorce in the Old Testament. And Jesus then, in uh, it's in Matthew, Matthew uh, 19. Yeah, now this is where, this, this was my eye-opener, when I s- suddenly realized I was reading the Bible differently as a result of understanding what the rabbis had said. Hmm. Because, uh, l- let me read to you. Uh, sure, please do. Ma- Matthew 19, I'll just read it to you as we normally read it. 
this starting at verse 3. Some Pharisees came to him to test him, and they asked him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Or ESV goes for any cause. Okay. And which sounds to the 21st century ear like, well, are there any grounds on which you can get divorced? Mm -hmm. But I thought to myself, hang on, they're asking him about the any cause divorce. Mm. And we, we, we've forgotten about this any cause divorce. We forgot it existed. Right. But that's what everyone was talking about. Mm -hmm. So they come to Jesus and they came to test him. And they asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause? Mm. They're asking him, what do you think about this new form of divorce, which everyone's using, which everyone's talking about? What's your opinion? Mm. That was the eye opener. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. then when he answers and says, well, if you get divorced and for any cause and get remarried, you're not really divorced in the first place. It's invalid mm. as far as I'm concerned. Mm. So what are you doing? You're committing adultery because mm. you're still married. And that would have been hard for some of these Pharisees to take if they hard. were from one school. <laughs> He's telling them because some of them had obviously divorced for wrong reasons. Virtually everyone in front of him who was divorced, perhaps everyone in front of him who was divorced, would be divorced with an any cause divorce. Mm -hmm. So he's telling, if you, any of you have got divorced and remarried, you're actually committing adultery because you're still married to your former partner. Mm -hmm. How did that work out as you were a pastor and you were first studying this and you've got a church with people who are divorced, a lot of people listening to you right now are divorced, considering divorce. How do we take the words of Jesus and apply that to us today? Well, the big issue always is, Jesus allows divorce for adultery in that passage, mm -hmm. but doesn't say anything about abuse, anything about abandonment. Which, of course, is, is, is a big issue today, but always has been an issue in yeah. marriage. And right from the very early church, people have said, look, if my wife threatens to poison me, I can't divorce her mm -hmm. unless mm -hmm. she commits adultery. Mm -hmm. you know, if, if my husband is beating me up every night, I can't get a divorce unless he commits adultery. Mm. And it's been a very, very difficult thing in so many households and so many discussions and in law, people have just abandoned Christian approach to divorce because it right. doesn't work. How do we tackle this? Because this is something that's very disturbing to many Christians who seek to be biblical in their life, and yet they don't know what the Bible teaches. I always want to base everything I believe on the Bible, because what else is there? It's God's word to us, and that's what we want to follow. Sometimes the Bible doesn't say things, and especially Jesus sometimes doesn't say things. Jesus only gives us in the Gospels the things where he disagrees with the Jews he's speaking to. So he never says, you shall not rape. Everyone agreed with that. There's mm -hmm. no one who... Would, uh, and that doesn't mean that Jesus was condoning definitely that not. sexual sin. Every single youth leader in, in the, the world wishes Jesus had said, you should not have sexual relations before marriage. Right. But there's no need for Jesus to say that because all of his audience agreed with that. Mm -hmm. And there's no need for Jesus to say that you can get divorced for abandonment, for neglect of food, clothing, and love, because that was in the Old Testament Everyone he was speaking to agreed with it. Mm -hmm. Everyone who had a marriage certificate had it written into their marriage certificate mm. that these were the grounds for divorce. If their husband neglected them, 
if their wives didn't do anything in the house, that was grounds for divorce. Mm. And Jesus didn't need to say it. But that doesn't mean it's not in the Bible. It's clearly there in Exodus, and Paul clearly affirms it. But Jesus never said anything because it would be he'd just be preaching to the choir. So what would you say as a pastor when a couple would come to you, or one spouse, either husband or wife, would come to you? Because you, have, you actually have a website where you've answered people's questions on what the Bible teaches. And how would you work this out in a counseling relationship? Let's say a woman wants to accept what the Bible teaches. She's been beaten for years, but she thinks the Bible teaches she can't leave her husband. I point to the Old Testament. I regard the Old Testament as God's word as well as the New Testament. Yes. And Jesus affirms the Old Testament. Uh, in the Old Testament, the grounds for divorce are uh, adultery, of course but also neglect of food, clothing, and love. And I th see those affirmed by Paul in 1 Corinthians 7, where Paul says, hey, you Gentiles, you don't know about what marriage should be because you don't have the Old Testament. I'm going to tell you. And in 1 Corinthians 7, he says, you must not defraud your husband or wife of sexual relations in verse 3 to 5. Mm -hmm. And then in verse 33 onwards, he says, and you must supply material needs. You must be anxious for how you can please your husband, please your wife with material needs of the world. In other words, supply food and clothing. Mm -hmm. He's teaching the Gentiles that these are the, the vows that you make when you get married. And in Judaism, that these vows were the grounds for divorce. And presumably, Paul is agreeing with that. Because even in Roman culture, those three things were the grounds by which marriage was a basis and also divorce was a basis. So I, I would point them to the Bible and say, look, if you are being abandoned or if you're being neglected, these are grounds for divorce in the Old Testament and being affirmed in the New Testament. What, what about abuse? What about physical abuse? That, that's a little that's more problematic. Biggie, yes. It's not more problematic, certainly not. In Old Testament law, you state the tiniest thing and anything worse than that also applies automatically. Let's take the, um, the law of uh, feeding your employees. You don't say that you're responsible for looking after your employees, that they, they have enough income and enough food. You say your ox has to be able to be fed from what it's working on. So it really didn't just apply in an agricultural context of that day. Let's say you're an employer and you have 100 white-collar employees working for you. That passage referring to an ox applies to you today, yes. is what you're saying. And you see it in the New Testament where it's applied to Christian ministers. Yes. Uh, they're not being rude about Christian ministers. You mean Christian ministers not like an ox, saying, look, you don't muzzle the ox where it's treading out the grain, you pay your Christian ministers. Mm -hmm. Because that's mm -hmm. how you apply law in, in the Old Testament. You state the, the tiniest one, and then everything else applies. So, so the, the law about neglect, that's applied to the slave wife, the lowest of the low in, in Jewish culture. So clearly it applies also to everyone above her. So it would apply to the woman who is being abused in some way yep. by her you, husband. And you say she has the right to divorce if she's neglected for food and clothing and love, and of course, anything worse than that. And abuse is just mm -hmm. so far worse, it goes without But it saying. doesn't even need mentioning then. It doesn't need mentioning in the same way it doesn't need mentioning that you pay your employees. You just say you feed your ox. Mm. Yeah. That's the way law works in the Old Testament. Paul spoke more, obviously, about marriage than, than Jesus did. Is there some words of comfort there? 
from Paul or somewhere in the New Testament for someone, whether a husband or a wife, who's, who's going through a great difficulty in their marriage today, and they're thinking, I can't continue this. Now, Paul was speaking in a context where you couldn't make rules which would be followed by everyone because uh, half his congregation were already married when they become Christians. Right. They're married to non-Christians. And of mm -hmm. course, the same situation applies today. So he tells Christians, hey, you don't just abandon your husband. You don't just abandon your wife. And if you have, you come back. But then he says, but if someone has abandoned you, they've gone off or they're, they're even living in the same house and they've abandoned you. Mm -hmm. if, if they've abandoned you, and you can't do anything about it, you can't tell them to come back, he says, okay, you are no longer bound mm -hmm. because God mm -hmm. has called us to peace. But that's in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 15, mm -hmm. talking in a context where he would want couples not to separate uh, without any biblical grounds. But if someone has gone off, didn't have any biblical grounds about divorce, and there's nothing you can do about it, he says, you're no longer bound mm -hmm. and because God has called us to peace. And that takes us to another step as well. Let's say there's a couple. They're both believers. They're married. They're faithful to the Lord. They're active in their church. And yet one of them was divorced for wrong reasons earlier in their life. Maybe they had an affair. Maybe their current, it's the man, let's say his wife that he's married to right now. It was an affair that brought them together. Can you roll the clock back? How do you make one wrong right and you talk about this in your book so you you yeah explain it, it's something that's uh, it's a situation that the bible doesn't address that specific situation isn't mm -hmm. addressed and I, I would use some folksy wisdom i say two wrongs don't make a right right that is you made vows to your former spouse you broke those vows a divorce happened that was wrong it should not have happened you should not have broken your marriage vows but things have moved on, you've now married someone else, you've made vows to that person, you can't put the situation right by breaking those vows. And I've heard some pastors give advice like this, and it's bad advice, it's poor, poor advice to say, you need to divorce your present wife and go back and try to make good the sin that you committed before. You commit a new sin in order to correct an old sin, it can't work. And you would say the Bible's on your side. Well, I would say that Bible principles are on my side, right. but the Bible doesn't specifically address that situation. Some people want to go to the scripture and say, it's got to be black and white. It's got to speak to everything. And what you've told us before in our being together is the Bible doesn't always do that. But that doesn't mean the Bible doesn't address the situation. Yeah, cannabis is not in the Bible. But mm. we have some clear views about cannabis. Mm. But yes, there's all sorts of things, of course, which aren't in the Bible. But the principles are there. And you see the people in the New Testament doing this. When there's a new situation, it wasn't in the Old Testament, but Paul would take the principles from the Old Testament and apply them in a new, to the new situation. Mm. Mm. David, one of the critical issues today is people who have been divorced, being remarried. They want to be married in the church. They want a pastor to marry them. How did you handle this when you were a pastor here in England? Well, Charles, the, the most difficult thing is trying to decide if someone is a guilty party or an innocent party in a divorce, mm. because there's the person who's broken the marriage vows that caused the divorce, and there's the victim who really is the innocent party. I know in a fight, you know, there's um, mm -hmm. never any 
one who's not guilty. Mm-hmm. But uh, usually you know, with a marriage, you can see that it's the one person that's caused it, especially if there's something like abuse or adultery or mm-hmm. abandonment. But I decided not to be God and decide who was guilty and who wasn't guilty. Mm. I decided, okay, if a couple comes to me and one of them says I'm actually divorced, then I'm going to say, okay, well, let's move on from here. That happened in the past. There's not much I can do about that. Mm. And I'm going to demand one thing, that they confess breaking promises. And I'm going to confess breaking promises at the same time and the person they're marrying is going to confess breaking promises because so, all have sinned and fallen short of god's glory definitely including and, the pastor who's marrying this couple definitely i may not have broken marriage vows in a sense that you can say hey there's a divorce but i've broken plenty of promises yes and so in the place where we're going to do the marriage service usually at the rehearsal on the night before mm. we'd get together and pray together and confess together to God that we've broken promises. And you'd often see just a weight falling off people when they pray that. Well, confession leads to forgiveness. And the person in the couple that would usually feel the most relief is actually the person who was an innocent victim Mm. of a divorce. Mm. Because the church loads such guilt on them Mm. just for being a divorcee. Mm. as if we're making people who murdered mm. feel guilty for getting murdered mm-hmm. yeah we, we make people who've been divorced against their will sometimes and certainly not of their fault mm. we make them feel guilty and mm. it's so terrible mm. and usually i said to them well remember god is on your side because he's a divorcee explain that i, I in Malachi, we, we find i hate divorce yes and we think yes. oh your god god hates divorcees no God hates divorce like any divorcee hates divorce. He knows the pain of what that means. In Jeremiah, we find God saying, I've given Israel her divorce certificate. In chapter 3, verse 8, he gives Israel her divorce certificate Mm -hmm. and says, and Judah is now sinning so much, she's going down the same road. Mm. And she's she's being as hard-hearted as Israel was. And in Ezekiel, we find the the reasons for that divorce laid out, that the the food and the clothing and the love that God gave to Israel were being given to the gods, given to the idols. She was committing adultery with the idols. And in Hosea, we find God making a special provision to try and heal that. But after seven times 70 years, God divorced Israel for hard-heartedness and... The prophets are very clear about that. God is a divorcee. If things can get so bad that God has to divorce, then clearly it can also happen with human relationships. And God hates divorce like any divorcee hates divorce. And I'm going to let you preach to me for a moment here. Let's take that to the idea of Christ and the church and marriage. That symbolism is there. The symbolism in a glorified way, because there's an absolutely new covenant has come in, an unbreakable covenant. Mm. All other covenants before that, all other marriage covenants, all other treaty covenants before that could be broken. But God found a way of making it unbreakable. So we have the new covenant announced in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, one which can't be broken because Mm. God is going to forgive, 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 forgive for eternity by sending his son to die. 
and that marriage, when it's consummated, will live forever, and mm. there'll be nothing, nothing, to break that up. And our marriages between a man and a woman oh. should reflect that holy marriage should, between should. Christ and His Church. But Jesus did not say that no man can break it up. Mm. He said, "Let no man break it up. Mm. Let no man break it asunder." That's an imperative. You can use an imperative to mean uh, you should not, do not, absolutely do not, but it can never mean it can't happen. Because it does. It does, because we still suffer from hard-heartedness. It wasn't just ancient Jews who were hard-hearted. It wasn't just Pharisees who were hearted. Mm -hmm. It's Charles and David who are mm -hmm. hard-hearted, and we too can break marriage vows and break marriages that way. Mm. It's a terrible, terrible thing. But remember, the main message of Jesus is not... Okay, marriage vows are broken, therefore divorce. Marriage vows are broken, therefore forgive, and forgive, and forgive. And when disciples said how many times, he said up to seven times seventy, because that's how many years God forgave Israel. But in the end, and only the victim knows this, mm. only the victim knows when it is, in the end, there has to be an end, because otherwise you're just multiplying sin. You're just letting your partner sin again and again and again. And this is why having the scriptures, but also wise spiritual counsel from other believers is very important in the church. Yes, it, you, it's not a decision you can make by yourself, but it is a decision that the victim has to make. Has to finally end. make, yes. A pastor's role is always to say, well, perhaps there's a way forward. Perhaps you can forgive again. Perhaps this can be healed. And then to listen out for that cry of, no, I, I just can't go on, mm -hmm. and then support. But mm -hmm. the pastor's role is never to say, I think it's come to an end. The pastor must always say, let's see if there's a way forward. Mm -hmm. But then to support if it really, really that victim is just continuing the sin of the person who's abusing them or who's left them or who's just turning a cold shoulder to them every night. David Instone Brewer at Tendale House in Cambridge, England, you've wrote the book on divorce, and thank you for joining us again. There are people that greatly appreciate what you've said, but I'd like to ask you to just pray for our listeners. Pray for those people who actually turn the volume up on the radio, because talking about divorce somehow relates to what they're going through or have gone through. Would you mind praying I'd for our to. listeners? Heavenly Father, we ask you to be in those homes where there's anger, fear, where there's coldness, where there's been so much silence that it's embarrassing to start talking again. Mm. Father, we pray that you'd be with those couples that are struggling and especially with those individuals who don't know where to turn because of the hurts they suffer every day. Be with them and give them your Holy Spirit to know that you were there and that you, you still love them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Dr. David Instone Brewer at Tendale House here in Cambridge, England, thank you so much for uh, sharing with us and uh, here on the program. Today. Oh, it's great to be on the program, Charles, and it's uh, great to meet you in person. Thanks for joining me on Great Stories with Charles Morris. Now, I know there was a lot to unpack in one conversation. If you want to dig deeper, I have Dr. David Instone Brewer's book linked in the show notes. You'll also see a blog post to frequently asked questions with excerpts from the book. And finally, I hope you've been blessed by this conversation. If you liked it, 
can I ask that you leave us a review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. But you can also go to haventoday.org to sign up for our weekly email and discover our other episodes posted on the blog. Thank you for joining me once again on Great Stories with Charles Morris. Thank you.